You guys can have a seat. Welcome, everybody. Glad that you guys are here in the room or joining us uh, at home. We are in week four of our series around awakenings as we're talking about what it looks like to live into our kingdom dreams. And so if you have missed the first four, uh, you can go on our podcast, you can catch up on some of that, you can go to our online streaming uh, YouTube channels, those kinds of things to catch up because we have been building a framework of what does it look like for us to walk and live into the kingdom dreams and the good works that God has prepared for us in advance. And so we started off by talking about how we are all dreamers. We're all called to be ambassadors for the kingdom. We have a job, an occupation in the kingdom, and that when we become followers of Jesus, we not only become his spokespeople, but we begin to take on a new employer, and we begin to work for him and do the work that he has prepared for us in advance. We also believe that all of us have kingdom giftedness, that there are certain gifts that God has given you so that you can do the works that he has prepared for you in advance. We believe that God has sent us in the same way that he sent Jesus into the world, in, out, to, out to the lost, to the least, and to the lonely. He sent us into difficult places, into difficult spaces. He sent us sometimes to die in order that others might live. And we've been kind of catching this vision of we want to become a church that awakens each other to live kingdom dreams in a world that's fast asleep. And so today, I want to spend some time talking about the challenge of that. We've been talking a lot about becoming awake to the dream that God has for us. And I think that's the first step of understanding what God is doing. We have this imagination. We have this understanding of this is my kingdom calling. This is where God is asking me to work. This is the job that God has for us. And so there's this imaginative activity, which some of us really love. And so we become awake. We discover God's dreams for our life. And then secondly, what happens, can we get that slide up, is that we become aligned and, and, and we learn to walk in God's dream for our life. So, so not only do we have this imagination of where we're called and what we're supposed to do, we have this alignment between us and the Father. So we learn to actually walk the path that he's set out before us. Scripture talks about um, walking by the Spirit or being led by the path of righteousness. That's what this is talking about. It's learning to align every day with our kingdom calling and understanding that every day God is present and at work. He's speaking, he's moving, and we get the opportunity to align with him and to walk in the ways that he's called us to. And then lastly, what begins to happen is we become alive. We actually begin to learn to flourish and to invite others into the kingdom dream that God has for us. Uh, my, my, supposition, my, 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 my understanding is that sometimes we never get to the point of actually becoming alive in our faith because we never actually align with the calling that God has for us. And so we're living this kind of um, truncated Christian spirituality where we're, we're just walking through, going through the motions, but we're not actually living into the calling that God has for us. Uh, and I understand that as we talk about these things, there's a huge difference between trying to persuade people or, or, or coerce people into these things and trying to disciple people. So all of you have kind of been in the, in the church where you've kind of gotten the pep talk, right? It's like the, we got to get out on mission, pep talk. We got to go do something, pep talk. And at the end of it, you feel a little motivated, you feel a little guilt and shame, and you feel like you got to go do something, but you're not exactly sure what. 
And, and so I want you to understand, like our goal in this is not to, to kind of do a guilt, or a, a guilt trip or a pep rally or to get everybody excited. Our goal is actually to disciple the people of God to live into the calling of God. Can you imagine the power of the American church if every follower of Jesus began to live into their kingdom calling in their everyday life? Can you imagine the power that would be unleashed in our communities, in our culture, in our world? Can you imagine, like, think about every single workspace. Like, think about what happens in Washington, D.C. if the people of God are mobilized, if the people who, who know Jesus, who work in political roles, begin to actually live out their kingdom calling. Think about what happens in the music industry when people of God start to be creative and imagine their kingdom calling, start to align with God's will and God's work, and all of a sudden we don't have singer-songwriters that are writing songs. We have the Holy Spirit that is empowering songs. We have, we have co-writers where God is the writer of the song, and the co-writer is the person who's singing it. And we have this beautiful unleashing of creativity. Imagine what happens in the movie industry. Imagine what happens in television. Imagine what happens in every secular space when the kingdom of God is unleashed through God's people. And I think the issue for us is not, oftentimes, it's not a will-to issue. It's not a want-to issue. It's a how-to issue. Does that make sense? There's certain things, and we want to do them. We really want to do them. We just don't know how. Right? I would love to be able to play guitar like, like Tyler does. I'd love to be able to play piano like Emily does. The problem is I've never practiced any of those things in my life at all. And so I have this kind of I want to, but I don't have any uh, 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 like discipline to actually do the work. Uh, I, I, can, I, can I make a confession to you? Um, I am jealous of people with clean garages. Is anybody in here like your, your garage is immaculate, like it's just perfect? Anybody, will, anybody admit that? There's some of you. I know. My, Mike's wife's making him raise his hand. Like my, my father-in-law, his, his garage is spotless. Like I've never seen anything like it. It's just everything is arranged perfectly. It's like alphabetical. It's, it's, there's, no crow, there's no dirt on the floor. There's, there, or, it's like you could eat off of it. It's nicer than my living room. Like... like uh, but, but for me, I don't ever, like, I know that we have a garage problem at my house, right? I know there's too much stuff in there. I know that there's not enough storage in there. I know that we, we really shouldn't put our garbage cans in there because they line up the side and take up half the garage. I know that it's almost impossible to fit two cars in my garage and that I've scraped my car twice pulling out of my garage because we're working on centimeters on either side of my car because there's so much, so much stuff in my garage. But you know what happens? On a Saturday, I don't want to go do anything in my garage. Are you with me, church? Uh, shout out some things in your life where it's something that you know you want to do it, you just don't have the will to do it. So what are, what are some things? I just shout them out. Like Meal planning. What was that? Something about TikTok? Take down the Christmas lights. Oh, hey, that one, it's close to home. I thought you said TikTok. Taters wanted to get a TikTok account going, but it's really, it's a lot of work. He's, he's staying away from it. What are some other things? A few other things. Second language, good. Delete emails, amen. We've all got these areas of our life where we want to step into something, but we just don't have the will 
to do it. We, it it's, there's the desires there, but sometimes we, sometimes we don't have the know-how. Sometimes we don't have the will, and sometimes we just don't have the heart to step into it. And so there's this, there's this piece going on in our discipleship where it revolves around our head, our heart, and our hands. And sometimes our head is persuaded that something is right, but our heart just hasn't gotten there yet. And sometimes our head and our heart are aligned, but our hands and our feet just haven't moved into that space yet. And so we work on aligning our whole body. Scripture talks about aligning the whole body to, to work as one, um, not just in the church, but for us personally as we walk into the calling that God has for us. And so our head sometimes has to persuade our heart, and then sometimes our head has to persuade our feet to move. And there's this journey of, uh, there's this discipline that we walk into of, I've got to actually get up on a Saturday and do some work in my garage. I've got to actually go and buy some storage units. I've got to actually like put things up on the ceiling and the little hooks and all those kinds of things that crazy people do so that their garage is clean. And I actually should probably get a storage closet somewhere. Like there's all of this work that we have to do, but we oftentimes just don't want to do the work and we don't want to step into it. Cyprian, the Bishop of Carthage, way back in AD 256 said this. He said, we are philosophers, not in word, but in deeds. For we exhibit our wisdom, not by our dress, but by truth. We know virtues by their practice rather than by boasting of them. We do not speak great things, but we live them. What he's talking about here is, is the phrase embodied participation. That's the invitation for all of us into the kingdom. There is an invitation for us to bring our whole selves into discipleship with God. So we embody and we participate in the calling and in the work that God has for us. And when we do that, something comes to life in us because it is hard and it is challenging and it is stretching and it is difficult and it does take discipline and it does take will to and it does take my head and my heart and my feet and my hands, all of these things in order for me to become, to become a participator in the life that God actually has for me. I think for some of us, we're actually sitting out the life that God has called us to and we've settled for something else. We've settled for church attendance. We've settled for being a part of a small group. We've settled for showing up and eating meals with other believers rather than living the adventure of our everyday calling and walking in it over and over and over again. Romans chapter 7, verse 15 through 20. Paul says this. This is the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary that ever lived, the greatest theologian that ever lived other than Jesus, the one who wrote most of the New Testament. This dude is a superhero of the faith, right? Listen to what he says here. For I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, and that is good. So now there is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Listen to this. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do want is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. This is the same guy. This is the same guy, writer of all of the New Testament almost, right? It's the same 
brilliant theologian, brilliant philosopher, amazing missionary, who wrote this in 2 Corinthians 11. Now listen, this is a guy who's saying, I don't do what I should be doing. I don't live into the calling that I should be living into. I, there's so many things that God's calling me into and I'm not doing it. Listen to the things that he's done in 2 Corinthians 11, 24. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes plus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers. It's like a terrible Dr. Seuss book. In the toil and hardship through so many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and a part of other things that were the daily pressure of my anxieties of all the other churches. Every pastor loves that last part. That on top of all the shipwreck, on top of all the this lashes, on top of everything, the most pressing thing was my daily anxiety for the church that I love. Think about that. Can we put that back up there for just a second? Paul. Five times I received lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was stoned. I was shipwrecked. But I don't do what I want to do. I wonder what he would think of the American church. And our inability to do the bare minimum of what we're required. Like oftentimes in America, the greatest act of obedience that we can do as followers of Jesus is to ask somebody to come to our church on Sunday. Just to like eat a Christian chicken sandwich or something, right? It's like, like these are the things that we're calling the church to. And, and we wonder why our young people are running away from the church in droves. It's because we've not called them to a living, active, alive uh, faith that flourishes and, and that calls us to adventure and calls us to the joy. So we become awake. We imagine what God has called us to. And that's an act of worship. It's an act of, of, of listening. It's an act of being present to God. It's an act of questioning. It's an act of discerning. But then we have to actually do the work of aligning. We have to walk through the things that God has called us to. There is no better example of walking through the things that God has invited us to other than Jesus who says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. All I did was spend my entire life trying to align with the Father's will for my life. And even when the will of the Father was difficult, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem, even though he knew the cross was before him. In Luke chapter 22, verse 42, in Gethsemane, where he sweated blood and cried out to God saying, I don't want this cup. He says this, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup for me. But nevertheless, not your will be done, but mine. He had this ability to actually stand in front of the living God and say, I know this is gonna be hard. I know this is gonna be difficult. I don't really want this. But if this is your will, I'll clean the garage. It's much bigger than that, right? If this is your will, I'll step into it. The entire story of God's people is this story of them becoming awake to God's will and God's plans for them life. Then them learning to walk in it and becoming aligned. And then them becoming alive. Jesus modeled and he was able to do the things that we cannot do. The big Bible word for that is the word recapitulation. 
Recapitulation. Uh, in, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he's lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will and according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him in heaven and all things on earth. The word unite there in the Latin is actually the word recapitulate. Recapitulate. And what it actually means is it means that Christ becomes the new Adam who succeeds in every place that Adam failed. Jesus becomes the new picture of humanity. And as humanity failed to follow God, as they failed to become awake to the calling, aligned with where he's going, and alive in, in what they were supposed to walk into, Jesus modeled perfection in that. And it leads us to a new type of humankind. It invites us into a new type of relationship with the Father, where he models the relationship of how the Father and Son react and how we respond to God. I only do what the Father tells me to do. I walk in his ways. When he says, go, I go. When he says, step into it, I step into it. When he says it's going to be tough, I say, all right, I'm going. I'm not sure I'm excited about it, but I'm walking into it. And over and over and over again, we see the people of God modeled in scripture who, 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 who listen to what Paul said, they have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. I think that's the model for so many of us. I don't think it's that we don't want to do what's right. I don't think it's that we don't want to live out our mission or our personal calling in our life. I, think it's, I don't think it's because we're lazy. I think it's because we need an imagination of how to do it. We need a model of how to walk into it. And we need a picture of what it means to really flourish and to be alive. Uh, I, 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 want, I want you to watch this video clip. And for those of you who are watching online, you're, it's going to cut out for just a second because of copyright issues. Um, but... But here's what I want to do. I want you to watch this uh, video. It's, it's, a, it's a movie called Elizabeth. Um, I never watched the movie, so I don't know if it's a good movie or not, so I'm not recommending the movie. Um, but there's a scene where Sir Walter Raleigh stands in front of Queen Elizabeth, and he tells her about discovering the new world. And he talks to her about the journey of moving from, I set out on a boat to discover new lands and I actually discovered it on the journey. And I think it's a beautiful, beautiful scene of becoming alive in your calling. It's also a beautiful scene of the difficulty of moving from becoming awake to our calling to becoming alive in our calling. For him, he had to cross an ocean, right? Which doesn't seem like that big of a deal for us now. In those days, that was a long journey. That was a hard journey. They would set out knowing some of us are going to die on this journey. Not all of us are gonna make it home. We might get shipwrecked at any point. We might get stuck at any point. We might end up living in a new world. We might get off course and end up somewhere else. There was this great danger in what they're talking about. So watch this clip as Sir Walter Raleigh describes the journey that it takes to get from one place to another. I love that clip. We don't need to watch it twice, but I love that clip. Uh, imagine like, just being someone listening to that story. The dreamers always capture the room, don't they? And so as he's describing that, the queen is, is they're saying, like, the court is waiting, we gotta go. And she's like, no, 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 no. We're gonna listen to this story. We're gonna stay here. We're gonna hope. We're gonna listen. There's something beautiful about 
following a dream or, or, or stepping into a dream or believing and hoping and seeing the impossible come to life. Isaiah chapter 43 says this, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old, but behold, I am making all things new. Do you not see it? Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness, and I will make rivers in the desert. I believe, and and I hope that you believe with me, I have this hope that there is this beautiful calling on our life that is just as beautiful as the calling described when he described discovering the new world. There's this adventure that awaits for us when we step into alignment with the calling that God has for us. There's this beauty, there's this this thing that's out there that we just sometimes don't see. We don't have eyes to see it. We cannot perceive it, but there's this new thing that's being birthed because we are present, because we were created to do it, because God made us for that purpose. He created us to live into the dream that he's already planned for us. And the question is, will we be able to cross the sea to get there? Will we be the ones who are able to get into the boat and step out on the waters and go where God has called us to? And so I know this is a grid that many of you guys who have been around Grace Marietta have seen probably three or four times, but I want to show it again because I just don't know how to illustrate this better than than by using this grid. And it's this grid of orientation, disorientation, reorientation. This is the journey that happens in our everyday life. And so what, what, what happens at the beginning is we become oriented to a way of life. Uh, When we become believers, we become oriented to a specific way of life. And so we have this orientation in what we live into. For for us, there are all these American cultural things that we have just become oriented to that we don't even understand or don't know. It's just a part of our culture. Every, every, Every workplace, every church, every community, every state, every city, all of them have these cultural norms that we simply become oriented to because we live in the system. And so it's just how we live. It's just what happens to us. Uh, For God's people in the Old Testament, their orientation was Egypt. Their orientation was being slaves, right? They didn't know any other life. They built bricks every day and they carried the bricks and they set the bricks in the right place. And, And if they built lots of bricks, then they were worth something. And if they didn't build lots of bricks, they weren't worth something. And so they, their, their only identity was this identity of slaves. That was their orientation. It was all that they knew. You could go through scripture and you could go through nearly every person in this story and you could talk about this was their orientation. David was a shepherd. Like, you can go over and over again and look at different people. This is what they were. Paul was a Pharisee. Right? You can go and you can look at all the different things, the ways that the people lived. That was their orientation. That was their way of life. And then what happens, by the grace of God, by the way, is there's a storm or there's a desert or there's a moment of disorientation. There's a moment of shaking that shakes the foundation of what we believe and how we live and what we walk on. And something shakes things up and it, it helps us to have eyes to see that there's a new invitation. It helps us to have eyes to see that there's a new world that's possible. It helps us to begin to perceive what God's talking about in Isaiah 43. Do you not see it? Do you not perceive it? There's a new way, and so something happens that disorients us. It shakes us. It it, it causes us to have new eyes to see that there's a better world available. There's something else open, and then what happens is we walk through that disorientation. 
So for God's people who were slaves in Egypt, that disorientation is leaving out of Egypt. They had to put one foot after the other and walk out of Egypt and into the desert. Right? And in the desert, it's, who they, it's where they discovered who they were. In their desert, they discovered their identity. In their desert, they discovered their calling. In their desert, they discovered what's next. Sometimes we cannot discover our calling, and we cannot figure out exactly who we are until we walk through the storm or until we walk through the desert. And then on the other side of that disorientation is reorientation. On the other side of that desert is the promised land. But we never get to the promised land unless we actually walk through the desert. And so God's people, remember God's people in the story of Exodus, they're, they're, there's, they, they say, we want to go back to Egypt. Because at least in Egypt, we had, we had pots of meat, that's what they say. At least in Egypt, we had a place to sleep. They, they didn't want to walk through the disorientation because the disorientation was hard. They didn't want to walk through the disorientation because the disorientation is difficult. They had the, they had the will to, or, or the, the desire to, but they didn't have the will to walk into it. They didn't have the desire to go and step in to the challenges that God had before them. And so here's what begins to happen. Somewhere between orientation and disorientation, we become awake to the calling that God has on our lives. We start to realize this is actually what I'm called to. Somewhere between disorientation and reorientation, we become aligned. It's in the desert that we become aligned with the Father. It's in the storm that we learn to trust Him. It's in the difficulties of life that we learn to walk in obedience and actually believe what we say is true about him. Like if you look back on all of our spiritual journeys, I would imagine if we did testimony night and put a microphone up here and invited everybody in the room to just come up and share everyone's inflection point, everyone's moment where they made a decision or where something big happened in their life was preceded by some sort of disorientation. And then the willingness, listen to this, the willingness to actually walk through that disorientation and to deal with it. Not to numb yourself, not to watch Netflix, not to hide away, not to stop and pretend like something significant isn't happening, but to actually walk through it. We live in a pain-averse culture that doesn't want to walk through pain, that doesn't want to walk through difficulty. We just want to numb ourselves to the difficulty of the world. And so we actually begin to align as we walk through that. And then that reorientation to a new orientation, we become awake. We become awake and we begin to flourish. We become alive, I'm sorry. We become alive and we begin to flourish. We become alive and we begin to invite others into the journey with us. And we become the Sir Walter Raleigh of the room where we're describing the kingdom dream that God placed on our heart and we're inspiring others and we're discipling others into live, to live their kingdom dreams. That's why our mission statement says we awaken each other to live kingdom dreams. Because when we become alive, there's something about that that calls others into being alive. I don't know if you've ever been in a room. I love that scene with Sir Walter Raleigh because there's somebody in the room who's alive. There's somebody in the room that's living their calling. There's somebody in the room that's living an adventure. And everybody else in the room wants what they have. And I wonder, who are the people in the church that are going to be alive? Who are the people in the American church that are going to wake up and say, I'm willing to live into these things? And so to become awake, what we need is we need imagination. To become aligned, what we need is we need courage. And to become alive, what we need is we need consistency. We need to walk through. So the courage to actually walk through the desert and then the consistency to actually continue to live the life that we've been called to. This is how we learn, guys. 
This is how we learn. Almost anything, this is how we learn. Right? This is not just a spiritual principle. This is a principle that's applied in workplaces. It's a principle that's applied over and over again in all kinds of different places where there is, I've got to teach you something new, and the only way I can teach you to do that is to kind of push you in the deep end. I've got to let you fail sometimes so that you can discover. I've got to let you feel the tension and the pain of, of, of not doing as well as you'd wanted to because that's how you learn. And that's how you grow. And the question is, will you quit or will you have the courage to step into it again and to keep walking and to keep pursuing? This is how we learn. We learn by embodied participation. This is the definition of embodied participation right here. What we want to learn, guys, this is how we want to learn. We want to sit in a room, have somebody talk, be zapped by the Holy Spirit, and get through this whole cycle. Right? I want to avoid all the pain. I want to avoid the desert. I want to avoid the storm. I want to avoid this difficult space of walking in between this space and this. And I just want to get there. So sometimes, God, could you just give us the gift and us not go through everything? And there's something beautiful about God where he invites us into the same journey that Jesus had. He invites us into the same journey we see over and over and over. The mom- there is a moment and then in every single disciple's life where they have to decide, will I walk through my disorientation? Will I do the hard work of actually getting to my calling? Or am I satisfied with just living a normal Christian life? We talked last week or a few weeks ago about the invitation of the American church. And the invitation of the American church has been attend, volunteer, and join a small group. And I want you to know that we want to have a bigger invitation than that, guys. Our invitation here at Grace Marietta is is to actually go and make disciples and become alive on the journey. Go and lead and make disciples. That's the invitation. And so there's this moment where we have to decide, will we really walk the road less traveled? Will we get into the boat and will we travel to the new world? Will we walk into the calling that God has for us, because the only way that Israel receives freedom is if they actually walk through the desert. The only way Paul becomes a missionary is if he takes the road to Damascus and meets Jesus. The only way Noah becomes a revolutionary is if he builds a boat. The only way Abraham becomes a father is if he leaves his home and goes to a place that he doesn't know where he's being called to. The only way David becomes a king is if he picks up that stone and fights the giant. And the only way Jesus leads us to salvation is when he picks up the cross and goes to Calvary. And so the question for us is, are we willing to be the people who pick up our cross and follow him? Are we willing to be the people who actually do the hard work of aligning our calling with God's will? And are we willing to say, yes, Lord, yes to everything, yes and amen to what you're inviting me into? And so we spent the last few weeks talking about imagination, talking about dreaming, talking about how we discover our dream. And over the next few weeks, I want to talk about the difficulty of actually living into your kingdom dream. There's a reason why this isn't happening. It's because it's hard. There's a reason why it's easier for us to gather on a Sunday in this room than it is for us to go throughout the week and live as missionaries and servants and and, and ambassadors of the kingdom throughout our week. It's because that's easier. And so the invitation is to pick up our cross and follow him. So here's my question for you guys, and this is the question I want you to wrestle with 
What's the desert that you're being asked to cross? What's the disorientation that you've been invited into? And what are the next steps for you to embrace the calling that the Father has on you and walk faithfully into that, to get onto the boat and go rather than simply shrink back and numb yourself to the world? What's your Egypt that you're tempted to run back to? And what's the promised land that you're running towards? Heavenly Father, I just pray today that you would, by the power of your Spirit, reveal to us your grace and your mercy and love. We recognize that we oftentimes have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. And so the only way we're able to carry it out is by your power and by your Spirit and by your grace and love and mercy. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak loudly and clearly in this moment, and that as we take a moment of quiet and reflection, that you would be the loudest voice in the room. I pray that you would speak kingdom dreams. I pray that you would give courage and power and consistency. I pray that you would help us to see where you're at work and show us how we can join you. And I pray that we would be a culture, that we would create a new culture where kingdom dreams is the norm, where we're awakening each other to live out the calling that God has in our lives in a world that seems numb and asleep all around us. And so, Lord, we just claim Isaiah 43, there is something new that is happening. It's just on the horizon. And I pray that you would give us eyes to see it. We thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to move into a time of communion. Many of you guys got elements as you came into the room. If not, they're on the tables in the back and on the side and up in the balcony. And you can grab those elements and move into a time of communion and just ask the Father, Lord, what's the, what's the next step? What does obedience look like to this word? So I've given a word today, and the question is, how do we obey? And, and that, that can only come from the Father. And so, Lord, what... What's obedience look like? What's it look like for me to take one step closer to the kingdom this week and walk into the calling that you have for me?